This podcast discusses topics that may cause distress to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Since opening in 1867, the old asylum in Beechworth, Australia has had many names. From Beechworth Asylum in 1867 to Mayday Hills Psychiatric Hospital by its closing in 1995, the over 200-acre site has seen tens of thousands of patients and quite possibly over 9,000 deaths in its 128 years of operation. Hello my little ghosties, I'm Kaylin. And I'm Kayla. And this is Ghost Tea, a podcast where we discuss all things true crime and paranormal. Let's get into it. <laughs> okay, so, Beechworth Asylum. My ghostly origin story, I suppose. As I've said in previous podcasts, for the majority of my life, I've only ever sensed the echoes of feelings in a building or space, whether that be good, bad, or neutral. I'd never seen or had any physical reactions to a ghost until Beechworth, 2017. Some of these experiences and feelings I have never spoken about before now. Not even to you. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> so I visited the asylum in August of 2017 with my dear friend Harriet. Hi, Harriet. <laughs> uh, who was visiting from the UK. Harriet had lived in Australia for a time a few years back, uh, and we had gone on another ghost tour, which was a walking tour of Melbourne. But nothing on that tour was anything like what I had experienced in Beechworth. However... Before I get into the ghost stories, let's learn a little bit about Beechworth Asylum. The majority of this information either comes from articles online or from the book Palace of Broken Dreams, A Brief History of Beechworth Asylum, which is a book written by the Asylum Ghost Tours uh, and edited by Dawn Roach and Jeff Brown. As a side note, it can be purchased on Amazon or from the Asylum Ghost Tours website, asylumghosttours.com. So... In 1863, the Victorian government selected sites for three new lunatic asylums, as the state's only mental institution, Yarra Bend, was overcrowded. These sites would become Arradale Mental Hospital in Ararat, opened in 1865, Kew Lunatic Asylum in Kew, opened in 1871, and Beechworth Asylum. As a side note, a fourth, the Sunbury Lunatic Asylum, was opened in Sunbury, Victoria in 1879. Um, were these all, like, owned by the same people? Oh, they were owned by the Victorian government. Okay. So they had one in Yarra Bend, which I believe was basically in Melbourne. Okay. Like, it was in a suburb of Melbourne, Melbourne but it yeah. was more local. Okay. Whereas these other places are... More scattered? Not even, like, suburbs of Melbourne. They're, like, some of the outer regions, like, okay. more rural. Are there, like, houses there now around the asylum? Are they still working? Uh, I don't believe any of them are still working. Oh, okay. Um, I think Yarra Bend does still house people, but I think it's used for other things like drug recovery and like rehab okay. and stuff, I think. Okay. Um, Beechworth is not an uh, operating asylum anymore. Okay. So, um, Beechworth Asylum formally opened on October 24th, 1867, under Superintendent Th uh, Dr. Thomas Dick who was a very weird gentleman. He was described as his granddaughter um, as being a gruff, a big gruff Scotsman with a red beard. That is so cool. I mean, I hope he isn't a bad person, but like, <laughs> that is cool. I wouldn't say he was bad. He was quirky. So uh, he later lived in Wodonga uh, and he has a street named after him. Oh, cool. Uh, and he grew a vineyard there. <laughs> Which is very strange to go, maybe it was like his retirement, but to go from like being a superintendent of an insane asylum right. to... Selling wine. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't even know if he sold it. He just 
grapes. Is it still there? No idea. However, he firmly believed that it was the moon that made you insane. To the point of where he would never venture outside at night without an umbrella. He never just, he never looked at the moon? I guess not. What in the world? (laughs) Yeah. The moon makes you, like, calm. Though, okay, so, as a teacher, there is a saying that, like, when your kids are, like, particularly, for want of a better word, crazy, (laughs) it's like, is it a full moon this week? Like, it's just, you know, like, it brings the, and again, for want of a better word, crazies out. Yeah, we do that, we have that in um, the dog grooming world, too. Uh, every time a dog is, like, acting crazy or, like, a lot of the dogs are acting crazy or if we're acting crazy, mm-hmm. uh, someone will pipe up and be like, is it a full moon? What's happening? And we will get into that later. <laughs> okay. Uh, actually, further, we'll sort of. Mm-hmm. But t- without jumping the gun. Yeah. So, um, the asylum would later be named Mayday Hills Hospital. Okay. Um, at the time of its construction, the asylum was noted to be the largest building in the colony. Really? Yes. So it wasn't a country yet. It was a colony. I am so excited to see pictures of this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the building itself stretched half a kilometer, about three-tenths of a mile. Okay, good. I was about to say, I don't know what kilometers. (laughs) From one end to the other. This is just the building. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought you meant the land, too. No. Holy crap. The site is almost 106 hectares, or 260 acres. So it's like... It's big. Big. Yeah, 260 is a lot. Mm-hmm. Mount Pablo's for references is 25 acres. <laughs> oh, yeah. Then, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it sits atop a hill with panoramic views of the surrounding countryside. Hmm. Um, the Beechworth, Beechworth site was chosen primarily for its healthy, elevated position. The high-altitude winds of Mayday Hills were believed to carry afflictions of the mind away. Interesting. Um, but closer to the moon because it's elevated, so... Right. <laughs> uh, they didn't think that through. Yeah. Um, it was also considered to be a sufficient enough distance from town, but okay. close enough as to not to make it difficult for visitors and delivery of provisions. Mm. Um, the land also left a lot of room for expansion. Mm. Not feeling good about um, the asylums, because I don't know if it's the same way in Australia, but the asylums in America were horrendous. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're getting there. We'll okay, get cool. We're, I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> so the asylum was built in the early 19th century architecture of the time. Beautiful. Uh, yes. Oh, yes. I can't wait to show you pictures. And at its peak, was entirely self-sufficient. It had a huge kitchen garden that included an orchard um, that ran the length of the hospital and was tended to by 25 patients on a full-time basis. Oh, so the patients tended the garden. Yes. So they didn't have people do it themselves, no. like like gardeners or something. They were, yeah, self-sufficient with it. Okay, so that is it a way of, like, rehabilitating them? Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think it was just to give them, so, which we'll get further into in a minute, but, um, it wasn't just insane people that were there. Oh. Um. Well, that's the same here, too, Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the garden produced enough fruit and vegetables all year round that it not only fed the hospital, but its staff, the Beechworth Jail, and the Beechworth Benevolent Asylum for Aged Care. Dang. Any surplus vegetables were then transported to other hospitals in Melbourne. Really? So, like, this was an operation. Oh, wow. Um, the hospital grounds also housed a farm, which supplied the asylum's meat and dairy needs, which include a piggery, stables, and a barn. So, like, they were, they were kept busy. 
Um, also on the grounds of the asylum were a pharmacy, tailor shop, toy shop, where the patients made wooden toys that they could sell and make money from. Tennis courts, an oval and cricket pavilion, a kiosk, a theatre, a catering centre, a courtyard with a fountain, a morgue, and a chapel. It sounds good on paper, but uh-huh. it makes me... It's giving me, like, sweatshop vibes. <laughs> a little, and I would imagine that they would have... Because, like, they were allowed to make money from the toys. I would imagine mm. they would be able to keep some of it, what they could spend it on. I'm not really sure. So, in Australia, is is it the same as here in America? Because um, asylums, I believe, in the beginning, did they... They just had donations. I don't think that they ran off of, like, government funding. I could be wrong about that. I didn't look into that, to be honest. Um, I would imagine that it would be government funded. Okay. um, Because the government were the ones that... um, Set them up. ...had these set up to Mm. be built. Okay. Um, The asylum would be open on the weekend so that the locals could come in, stroll through the gardens, and have picnics among the inmates. Uh, while they're screening. They would have bands playing and games happening on the lawns. Um, I'm sure they presented their most put-together patients. And everyone would walk away thinking it was a lovely place. (laughs) I'm not fooled. I knew it from (laughs) the beginning. I looked too much into asylum. Well, and I kind of (laughs) wish that I'd included it now, but I was worried about time. Um, I found... So it was called the Ovens and... I, I didn't write it. I didn't... I deleted it yeah but it was this um kind of like a newspaper crossed with like an advertisement paper kind of Mm -hmm. thing where people would be like oh this is jenny has this lovely shop and like a write-up about it Mm. and they had one about the asylum and the woman was like or the person i don't know if it was a woman was like singing the praises of this asylum and oh it's very put together and clean and mm. they're fed on a very orderly time and blah blah blah, blah. Right. <laughs> it was kind of a little bit too good to be true interesting so i wonder if they were paid i don't know yeah i have no idea um what is now called the chapel of the resurrection was originally constructed in 1868 as the dead house or mortuary for the ah, hospital morgue yeah Um, the building looked like it had external windows, but it really didn't. What? So I guess they were, like, decorative windows, or, like, painted over, or something, like, that... Yeah. The horrors that must have happened in that house, in the chapel. Yes. (laughs) So, um, the floor soaked inwards from each wall with the drainage pit in the center of Uh, the floor. It's a butcher shop, I'm guessing. (laughs) (laughs) It was converted into a chapel in the 1960s mm. and can now be used as a wedding venue. Ah, uh, awesome. Uh, they were like, we need to undo uh, this awesome. evil. <laughs> <laughs> we need to undo this evil, so let's just like turn it into a church. I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, why not? It's fine. <laughs> um, another feature of the grounds were the ha-ha walls. Uh, what? <laughs> ha-ha walls. What? These were a unique architectural feature that was placed around many of the patient courtyards in the asylums in Victoria at the time. Both Kew and Beechworth used a variation of ha-ha walls. And I have a picture for you, which we'll also put on Instagram. Okay. Um, the key feature of the wall was a trench built on the interior of the walls. So, like, inside the mm. walls. Okay. Um, this made the wall appear low enough to the outside world that patients weren't imprisoned, while ensuring that none of them could actually escape. 
Um, originally, the walls surrounded 25 acres and used more bricks in the construction of the walls than all of the buildings in the asylum. Today, only a partial wall stands. Oh, uh, why? Let me show you a picture. Why did they call it the haha walls? Well, okay, let me read that first then. Okay. So the name might have come from the term half up, half down. Okay. Or possibly more so, at least in my opinion. The laughing that came from people viewing the wall and knowing that there was never going to be an ability of escape. That's what so I So like, you know, of. Nelson Muntz, like, ha ha. Like, that's, that's. Nelson who? The Simpsons? What did you say is Nelson? Muntz, isn't it? Oh, for some reason I thought... You said, like, mums. Oh. And I was like, I don't know who that is. So this is the actual Beechworth Asylum wall that's still standing. So you can see here, this is inside the asylum. And if you're standing here, it doesn't look like it's very high. Right. But once you go down into this pit, it's a lot higher. Like, you have to go down here to be able to get out. Okay. Um, here's another example. So out here, it doesn't look like it's very tall. Okay. But then on the inside, it is actually tall. So they couldn't escape. Yes. Cool. So it was basically a way to, like, keep them in, mm -hmm. like, from breaking out. Yeah. While not being like prison chain link kind of fences, okay, sort of thing. Oh boy, do I hate that! <laughs> <laughs> so, Dr. Eric Cunningham Dax, the director of hygiene and one of the managers of Mayday Hills, supposedly brought huge changes to the asylum in the 1950s, including art therapy and getting patients to wear underwear and normal garments. He also had the Ha Ha Wall dismantled in 1955. Okay, so from 1867 to 1955, they had these walls up. Was that like 100 years? Or 50? Not quite 100 years. Almost 100? So 67 to 1867 to 1967 would be 100. So like 90, 90 something or 89 years. or something years. Yeah. I can't math. Um, there's only that little section left today. And I'm kind of glad that he did keep it. Like at least a little bit of it just because it's part of the history of it. And it is interesting. I actually saw that, like, a lot of, not just asylums use them. Mm -hmm. There's, like, variations of it where, like, a horse can walk up to the wall and, like, eat the grass on the other side, but, like, it's not, he'd have to, like, jump it to escape kind of thing. Oh, okay. As the understanding of mental health was so basic at the time, patients were admitted to hospital for genuine mental health conditions, such as schizophrenia and depression, all the way down to misunderstood phys physical conditions such as epilepsy. Mm. And worse. Um, I thought we could take a moment to go over a list I found of reasons for admission to an asylum from 1864 to 1889. So during this time. I, I'm i so interested in this because in America the list was so crazy. Well, so this list actually comes from the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in West Virginia. Oh, okay. However, it was very much the same Okay. In Australia at the time. So it's probably going to be all the things that I... Possibly. And I'm only going to read a couple because it's very long. Uh, yeah, they normally are. Um, so kicked in the head by a horse. Yeah, we had that here. Um, well, this is an American list. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Um, imaginary female trouble. Yeah. Whatever that means. Um, laziness. Marriage of son. Mm. Um, menstrual deranged. Mm. Mental excitement, novel reading, Interesting. Uh, nymphomania. Mm, yeah, I was going to mention that. Um, overstudy of religion, mm. overtaxing mental powers, which fair enough, that sounds like mental exhaustion. Yeah. Um, parents were cousins. Political excitement. 
politics of, in general. All of the people today would be in an <laughs> asylum. Asthma. Did asthma. you know that asthma and mentals were obviously related? Oh, okay. Um, bad company. Death of sons in war, which again, probably more of like a PTSD kind of oh, thing. Oh, okay. Desertion by husband. So they would send the woman to the asylum if they had a... Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Uh, suppression of Menzies. Uh, birth control. Bad whiskey. Excuse me? Bad whiskey. Like if somebody had bad whiskey in their cupboard? Uh, I guess. Hard study. It just says Salvation Army. So I'm guessing if you were a member of the Salvation Army... I don't really know. Um, fell from a horse in war. This <laughs> is just fantastic. Uh, time of life. What does that even mean? I don't know. Time and my life. personal favorite, wearing red. <laughs> You're wearing red right now. Yes. <laughs> and that's why I literally changed at work to wear this shirt because I was like, good. <laughs> <laughs> That's so weird. I also read um, female masturbation, too. Yes, that yeah. was on there. There was yeah. a lot of masturbation. They were yeah. kind of obsessed with what you were doing in your own home. Oh, right. It's like, super weird. <laughs> there were possibly... Let me go through and count them real quick. Uh, one, two, three, four, tobacco and masturbation. Uh, uh, five, <laughs> deranged masturbation. Uh, suppressed masturbation, so six... Suppressed as in you're not doing it? I guess. I don't know. <laughs> uh, seven, eight, nine of these on here have to do with masturbation. I mean... How people knew that that was going on in the privacy of your home, I, d- I don't know. But anyway. I mean, back then people had, like, maids and a bunch of other stuff. So I guess if you... Yeah, like... but even if you didn't, like... That's weird. Yeah. What, I... you made standing at the door? Like, <laughs> listening, oh, oh, what are they doing in there? <laughs> um... At the time, only two signatures were required in order to be admitted to mm. Beechworth Asylum. Mm. However, eight were needed to be discharged. I believe it. So if a husband wanted to get rid of his wife, all he had to do was get a doctor to agree that she was unstable. Therefore, it was much harder to get out of the asylum than in. It is estimated that around a third of the patients admitted to Mayday Hills never left. Um... People could be admitted to the asylum as a lunatic patient by a number of reasons. Um, At the request of a friend, relative, or acquaintance, with medical certificates written by two medical practitioners. However, this method was amended by the Mental Health Act of 1959, which stated that a person could be admitted upon recommendation of a medical practitioner who had examined the person. However, as soon as possible after admission, the superintendent of the hospital was required to examine the patient and either approve the recommended admission or discharge the patient. Mm. Any lunatic person found wandering at large or not under proper care and control could be brought before two justices who could order the person's removal to an asylum. The police were usually responsible for bringing the person before the two justices. Um... Any prisoner of the Crown, thought to be a lunatic, could be removed from a jail to an asylum by the order of the Chief Secretary. And then they also had voluntary boarders who were request who like requested that they be admitted for a mutually agreed upon period of time. However, this was from nineteen fifteen onwards. Oh, okay. So I would imagine like say you were homeless or like in a situation where that was going to be a thing for you, you mm-hmm. could just go and be like, Hey, I need to kind of get my life together. 
could you release me in this amount of time? Or, like, maybe could I work at the toy shop? And you know, maybe that's what that was for. Did they release them in that time? No idea. <laughs> I, I thought you were saying no at first. I was like, <laughs> like no, they kept them. <laughs> um, and I wish, so some physician interviews have survived to the present day. Present day. Um, they speak of troubled patients, brutal treatment, and little hope of escape. I could not find any. I did find some, I guess they were kind of physician interviews, um, and I'll get to that later, but a doctor essentially would, like, write down his patient statements word for word to, like, progress, like, track progress and stuff. I have some of those later on. Um... So while there were many legitimately ill people, including alcoholics and opium addicts from the goldfields, there were also many people who were not ill. Some people uh, became inmates by refusing or being unable to answer a judge's or police surfeit's question. Young people were incarcerated for being aggressive and not doing what they were told. Wow, I would be in there so quick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, patients were also hospitalized for suffering from epilepsy, depression, dementia, postnatal depression, religious mania, being a prostitute, or even simply for being work shy. Like they didn't want to work? Yeah. A particularly heart-rending tale is that of an 11-year-old boy who was incarcerated, incarcerated for stealing a horse in Melbourne. He remained there until he died several decades later at 84. Wow. At its peak, the asylum housed about housed some twelve hundred patients um, and five hundred staff members. That's it, it? for twelve mm. hundred patients. Yeah. Good God. Um, it was a mixed hospital with beds for six hundred men and six hundred women. Um, there are mixed reports on just how many patients died during their time at Beechworth. I have seen some. I've seen some articles that have as few as three thousand and as many as nine thousand. Um, so if there was only a thousand beds, then how was there 1,200 patients? There were, there were 1,200 beds, so 600. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought, okay. Yeah. I thought you said 500, 500. I'm sorry. No, no, no. 500 staff members oh. for 1,200 patients. Okay. Yeah. That's where I got that number from. Yeah. Um, it was also quite normal to see very young children in asylums. That's sad. The youngest in the boys' ward was six. Mm. And in that same ward, the oldest was 28. So you've got six-year-olds and 28-year-olds in the same ward. So you can possibly imagine. I don't want to imagine. Yeah. yeah. Does that happen? Did you see reports of that? Uh, no, but yes. But that, it was hearsay. Oh, okay. Um, so there was no DSM-5. Uh, back then, and the DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Okay. Um, so there was none of that back then. Is that do we have that now? Yes. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. That's what it was called. Yes. Um, so there were only two categories of patients in the asylum. You were either classed as an imbecile <laughs> or an idiot. Mm, that's the same thing. Yeah. And as a side note, so in the United States, the DSM serves as the principal authority for psychiatric diagnosis, diagnoses, <laughs> diagnoses, um, treatment, treatment recommendations, as well as payment by healthcare providers are often determined by DSM classifications. Okay. So basically that's like the mental health Bible for practitioners and stuff. Okay. 
that right there tells me that this was not very well like taken care of because if they're classifying people as that then like i mean what what happened to the people who were like involved like voluntarily like going in there just to get their life together <laughs> were they calling them imbeciles so beachworth asylum used restraint practices either through the wearing of straight jackets restraint chairs like the use of restraint restraint chairs <laughs> Or placement into isolation cages. Yeah, we had that too. As the main form of rehabilitation. Pre-1950, the standard treatment of the day for those suffering from mental illnesses um, and neurological illnesses like epilepsy was restraint. Mm. Um, Then came lobotomies and electric shock treatments. Mm -hmm. There are stories of mass shock treatments where almost the entire patient population was shocked in one session. Mm. And if you think back to just a few paragraphs ago, the youngest was six and the oldest was 28. Oh. And so you said at once, shocked yep. all at once? So they would... Almost up. the entire patient population was shocked in one session. I'm not sure what that involved. If it was, let's all stand in this room and hold hands while we shock everyone. No idea. Oh, I... Yeah. So it wasn't like bring in the next one or was it all like they were all hooked up to the same shock it just dogs? says the almost the entire patient population was shocked in one session that's so i would imagine just all at once good god yeah. how does that even work how do you get a battery big enough to do that um were there multiple batteries i have so many questions same i've never heard of that in america um all at once thing mm. but i have heard of some i mean it could have been just bring them in bring them in bring them in bring them in but but for why but for why like why though mm. like what would was it I a mean, punishment was it just i don't know they're easier to take care of if they are like just drooling i guess yeah so not surprisingly the rooms where these treatments took place are where the paranormal activity seems to occur the mm. most paranormal activity seems to occur. i am shocked yeah i'm so Weird. shocked <laughs> um there were also reports of mysterious deaths and disappearances at beechworth also shocked and supposedly, in the facility's first laboratory for experimentation, operations, and autopsies, jars filled with body parts and formaldehyde adorned the shelves. These jars have since vanished. Ah, interesting. So full moons um, have always been associated with insanity. Take the words lunacy and uh, lunatic. Thought that was really interesting. Yeah. So locals recall stories of how the asylum became very noisy on a full moon, um, to the point of where a flock of 20 peacocks once roamed the grounds, thought to be there so that their calls would drown out the cries of the patients. Uh, I don't think peacocks are allowed birds, are they? Oh, yeah. Are they? Oh, yeah. As previously stated, I have some statements written by four men, well, written on behalf of four men, uh, who were patients at an asylum in the late 1800s. Okay. Some sources said they were patients at Beechworth, while others said that they were patients at Sunbury, which was another Victorian asylum. Okay. Um, however, I wanted to share them regardless, as they're quite interesting. Yeah. Um, I will say <laughs> that these stories were taken down verbatim okay. by a ward doctor, described by one patient as Dr. O'Brien. So the wording is pretty startling, especially in the first one. Oh, really? So this is me reading word for word what an... an uh, an insane asylum patient is saying, so don't come for me, come for the patient. (laughs) 
Um, none of these men who gave the accounts below survived the asylum. Oh, really? So the first one is by a Daniel Dooley, who was 59 at the time. Uh, this was on the 23rd of August, 1892. Wow. I was brought, brought by a policeman because I was silly, and I was in the habit of saying my prayers. I stayed a night out looking for a quartz reef. I value it at £100. I've been at Denali on an unemployment pass. I bought a tent. I saw a lot of larrikins there, and they burned my tent. When I came back, I could not find the place. I met five men dressed like navvies, which were Irish workers. Oh, okay. I spoke to them, and they did not answer. I met more, and I spoke, and they said they were ghosts. I wanted to go into a house, but they said it was haunted. I then saw the devil, like a steam engine. I then saw the Blessed Virgin Mary, and I spoke to her and shook hands with her. She took a tree up to make shelter for me and sent Jesus Christ to obtain another for me. She lifted up the tree as easy as I can this chair. And there was music and ejaculations of Hail Mary. I asked for money, and she had a bird in her hand and placed it on a perch. And one of the men had a purse with him, but the money I've not, yet, I've not got yet. I told a priest, and he told me to be off. I, what? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Were they ghosts? Like, really? Was he not? Was I, he seeing... I think he was seeing things. So I think he was having delusions and um, visions. Okay. Um, it possibly sounds like schizophrenia. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm not a professional. This is just my personal opinion. As someone with a lot of mental health issues. <laughs> so the next one is Timothy Shannon, who was 35. Uh, this was the 20th of May, and again in 1892. Oh, okay. My name is Tim Shannon. I was born in County Clare. I have friends out here, two in Melbourne. Pat Shannon lives in Dryden Street, South Melbourne, and the other is Tom Shannon, a caster in Carlton. I forgot the name of the street. I suppose it is three or four years since I went there. You are Dr. O'Brien. At least I've heard them call you so. I got frightened of the people outside going to kill me. I took it in my mind like that. I've got these ideas in my head now. I think they try to injure me, but I did not see them. I would like to get out, but I think he would not support me if I did not work. I used to take four or five pints of beer. I don't sleep at night. I'm frightened at somebody coming to kill me. I am not strong enough to work. That sounds like paranoia, which could be, like, coupled with, um, bipolar disorder. Yeah. Not diagnosing. No, again, this is... <laughs> it just sounds like it. It does. It sounds like he's incredibly paranoid. I don't know if there were people who were wanting to kill him or if he just saw people on the street and, right. you know, had those paranoids. Interesting. Um, Will Robinson was 54. <laughs> No, I know. his name was not Will Robinson. Danger, danger. danger. <laughs> Again on the 20th of May, 1892. Um, my name is Will Robinson. My correct name is Charles Hutton. Okay. I was born in 1833. I'm 54 years of age. I don't know this place. I came from several places. I cannot tell where I came from last. I left Beechworth in 1854-1855. This year is 1887. I was never in an asylum in my life. I am not married. I have relations. I can hardly tell you where they are. I cannot tell you where one is. I see well. So he was saying that it was 1887, but it was actually 1892. Oh, really? Yep. He wasn't in the correct year. Wow. Yep. 
Um, Patrick Malone, 43. Okay. This is the 27th of May, 1892. Mm. Patty Malone is my name. I'm about 20 years of age. I do not know the year. I never kept count. I was sent to Kew owing to my mother's fault. I was a bit wild. I was young. I might have been at fault. I was a bit wild having a chance like, a change like. Okay. My mother could tell you better. I was into drinking. I had a few words with my mother and sister like. It was 12 months ago. I cannot remember the words. I never saw spirits or heard voices. I was never bad like. It was only a row with my mother and sister. I was lying down and she wanted me to go outside and I would not. She got her hair off and I knocked her about a bit. It is a long time ago. I did not do much. If I did anything at all, I did practice self-abuse. But it's a long time ago. I don't do it now. I would be dead in a few days if I did any work. I think again some delusions or something traumatic at PTSD where he has reverted to his 20 year old self because it said that he was 43 but he said that he was 20 really or about 20 years of age so I also then am led to believe that maybe it wasn't 12 months ago that he was sent here oh, wow. um, and he just can't keep track of the time um, so now I want to talk to you about some of the locations that will come into play later okay so the bull pit or bullpen. I saw it both ways. Oh. I heard bull pit when I was on my tour. Mm. Um, so the bull pit was said to have been exclusively used for younger men who were in their early teens and 20s. Mm. There would be around 80 to 120 boys in there at a time. <laughs> what the hiccups? <laughs> the name is said to have come from the effect it would have on all those young testosterone-filled men, all kept in the same proximity. The types of people put in the bull pit were people with Down syndrome, epilepsy, ADHD, and autism. Wow. The overflow from the jail would also be housed here. So you have people with Down syndrome, ADHD, and autism put in with prisoners. And the prisoners in Australia are quite insane. <laughs> Prisoners everywhere are kind of insane. That's true. <laughs> but this was like the early, like, bang, bang, shoot em up bush ranger days. Yeah. Um, there would be fighting for power and control and reports of sexual assault. Wow. There were often stories told from staff how difficult it would have been to control these men. One of the ways they tried to control them as a group was to provide them with clothing that was too big for them. So they had to continually hold their pants up. I don't understand how that is controlling. Well, you can't, like, fight if you're, like, having to hold your pants up, essentially. However, the worst part was they would also put laxatives in their food. Oh. So that they were more concerned with the need to use the toilet than fighting. So you're struggling to hold up your pants that are too big for you. You have Down syndrome or even ADHD and autism, so you can't focus. You're having to hold up your pants and you're constantly feeling like you're going to poop your pants. Uh That is so sad. Mm-hmm. The Woman's Maniacal Ward. The northeast section of the female patient's wing was built as part of the original building in the 1860s. Today, this section is easily the most historically important part of the facility due to it still retaining the most original layout of any ward in the asylum. Mm. Apparently, they painted everything in pink and blue tones that were supposed to be soothing. So, fun fact, I learned this recently. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, apparently pink is a very stressful color. It's, it's, it's very in your face, especially like a really bright right. pink and stuff. I think they were more softer pinks, like more Carl's and stuff. Okay. I vaguely remember. Cause so when we did the tour, it was like, the tour started at 11 PM at night or something like around that time. Oh, really? So late. And we were given lanterns. So oh, cool. Um, apparently now after COVID, you have to rent the lanterns or bring your own. But we were just handed, like, they had five of them for the whole group of about 20 to 30 people. Wow. So lantern light is not the most... Bright? <laughs> yes. So I couldn't really tell the color of the walls. But I vaguely remember it kind of being more of, like, a salmon-y, coral-y kind of pink than, yeah. like, a pink, I like, really, Pepto-Bismol or something. I really want to go. Well, you also have to think... Um, the paint's probably faded mm. from the sun and True. everything. Yeah, so. Um, I don't know if I will ever return. Oh, really? Okay. Let's well, just say that. Can we go to one here? Sh- sure. Maybe. <laughs> they have daytime ones here. There's one in Ohio, actually. We we will get to my experience. Okay. Um, I definitely will probably never return to Beechworth. Maybe for a historical day tour, uh, which they also do. Mm. Um... Or maybe without some sort of spiritual protection first. Oh, true. Because yeah. it, 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 yeah. Be blessed before going. Yeah, yeah. Or something. Yeah. Um. So this section of is the only ward to still have the early pink hued wash finish to the external render. Um. They have tried to keep this section as historically accurate and haven't changed it too much. Okay. Um, mostly everything is original, especially in areas like the laundry and the boiler house. The women's maniacal ward included a laundry and a sewing section in the front area on the first floor, as this is where women could practice needlework and such. Mm. Um, the ward still contains eight original 1860s cells with four on the ground floor and four immediately above it on the first floor. Cells? Cells. For the women? Mm -hmm. They have this on the men's side? Mm Mm-hmm. They took us into one of the cells on the first floor on the tour, shut the door, and read, supposedly read the list of reasons to be admitted to us. Oh, okay. The cells are creepy as hell. Okay. You can see gouge marks, teeth marks, and scratches from the patients that were locked in there. Teeth marks? From, like, in- They would, like, scratch their fingernails bloody and then use their teeth. To, oh, on which like, part? Like, just the, the wooden parts. Like, um, to get the, out of there. Of the doors? The doors, the walls, the be like any wood that like you can still see it. As you can imagine, locking someone in a small enclosed space, like there's maybe enough room for like a bed from wall to wall and really? like maybe a side table or something. Like it was <laughs> Yeah. Locking them in a small enclosed space while they're having a mental breakdown or episode would not bode well. Obviously. Wow. Which we will come back to <laughs> when we talk about Hauntings and the paranormal side of things. Okay. Um, the Grevillea Wing. The Grevillea Wing was where patients waited for electroshock therapy. Oh. The patients feared the Grevillea Ring. Uh, yeah. Rightfully so. Right. Grevillea, by the way, for anyone who is not Australian and for yourself, yes. is a type of flower. I was going to say, it's a really pretty name, but um, I was like, it's probably not pretty. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's, listen, well, Australian... face is probably not pretty. Like. Oh, no. <laughs> um, Australian flowers, I would not say, are... I think they're pretty, but I would think that they're more interesting looking than, like, I'm trying to think of, they're more stunning, visually stunning than, like, visually beautiful, I would say. 
So this is a Grevillea. Oh, wow. It's it's also called the spider, I was spider say. flower. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, do they attract spiders or is it just because they look? I just think it's just the spindles. Oh. Um, medication had not uh, been introduced until the 1950s, so okay. restraints, like we mentioned, um, such as straitjackets and shackles were used, as well as electroshock treatment. These treatments were widely used in hospitals in the hospital's early days. When the shocks were administered, the patient's body is either splayed out backwards with force or contracted inward into the fetal position. Okay. Regardless of the position, ligaments would snap, bones were often broken, and teeth shattered. They had it that high? Good lord. Um, sorry. hiccups. <laughs> Um, self-harming patients had leather mittens locked on their hands so they could not use them. If they tried to gnaw the gloves off, they would have a tooth pulled. If they repeated this action twice, they would lose their top two teeth. A final time, third time unlucky, and all of their remaining teeth would be pulled. Oh my good god. Can you imagine just straight having your teeth pulled? I don't know if you're I've had my tooth pulled before. Well, it's yeah. With um, many needles to numb the area right. and all sorts of stuff, and it still sucked. Yeah. I mean, I have This two, was, but... they were strapped into a dental chair, like, looked like a dental chair, but metal. Yeah. And they would just have the tooth pulled. That's what I was saying. I was like, can you imagine just having it yeah. without any no, anesthetic I or anesthesia? Oh my gosh. Um, the cellar. Hate that. <laughs> you don't said anything. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into it. But the cellar is the oldest part of the hospital. When the hospital was still under construction, the prisoners that were building it, instead of being transported back to the jail, because they shipped in some prisoners from the local jail to help build the, the um And they asylum. trusted them to build this place? They were heavily guarded. Um... But so the prisoners that were building it, instead of being transported back to the jail, were sometimes locked in overnight in the cellar. Um, It's suspected that the underground section may have been much more expansive than it appears now, and there could be much more to discover behind the bricked-up ventilation shaft, which we'll also get into. Um, The cellar was also used as a morgue for a time. So you could imagine you having these prisoners locked in this cell... And in the next section, there's a dead body on a slab. The smell. The smell? It would be terrifying. Well, it was pretty cold. They also used it to keep their food fresh and cool. At so, the same time? I don't know at the same time, but that's what it was used for. It was it was like a fridge down there. Like. <laughs> Good God. I, I have many feelings about the cellar, which we'll discuss. Did you did you go? Now, I know we're going to discuss it, but did you mm-hmm. were you able to go down there? Okay. Mm-hmm. They shut us in one of the cells. Ugh. Oh. I want to go. And made us turn off all of the lanterns. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. I want to go. Mm-hmm. Wait till you hear my stories and then decide if you want to go. It was I still honestly go. like one of the most terrifying nights of my life, and I'm not like exaggerating for the entertainment value. Like, I was so terrified that I didn't feel safe driving back. We drove about three hours to get to Beechworth, mm-hmm. and we didn't... The, we drove after work. My friend Harriet stayed at my house all day because she wasn't working, obviously. She was on vacation. Mm-hmm. I came home from work. We got in the car. We drove to be there at 11. Um, 
and then the tour finished up maybe at around 1am maybe 1.30 I don't know and then we had to drive back home to Melbourne because we hadn't planned for any accommodation so I didn't I felt like I had something attached to me Mm. um so they did like a smoke and I'm not I'm very open to other people's spiritual beliefs and opinions Mm -hmm. I have my own Mm -hmm. but I was that desperate I was like they offered to do a smoke cleansing and a grounding um kind of ceremony type thing Mm -hmm. I think the one of the tours was like a weekend or something Mm -hmm. and I was like yep I'll take it I would do (laughs) absolutely 100% (laughs) but again spoiler alert it was terrifying um Above the cellar is the first female nurse's dining room. Uh, it has a fresco painting adorning all four walls. Um, it was supposedly painted by a female patient, but no one knows who she was or where she came from. Oh, I sad. also saw that one of the nurses had actually painted it, painted it, mm. and then they had a patient touch it up later. Oh, okay. So I'm, uh, you know. Here's <laughs> yeah. um, Some interesting dates. Mm. In 1937, the nurses' quarters were built. Prior to this, nurses slept in their own private room located within each ward. Mm. Nurses were required to live on site unless they could show sufficient reason not to. Um, the top floor of the nurses' quarter, quarters was later used as classrooms for nursing training in the 1960s. In 1938, the Warren Gatta Ladies Auxiliary formed and the community members took an active role in contributing to patients' comforts and interests. The so, community did? Yeah. So the Ladies Auxiliary... They have different names for it. They have, like, the Country Women's Association and stuff like that. But essentially, it's a club for women to get together and do crafting and cooking and gardening and, like, just, like, a social club for ladies, basically. Out of the asylum? No, 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 no. This was in the community. Oh. And so they would then be like, well, let's bake these scones and take them to the asylum. Or let's teach a class on painting. Oh, okay, okay. That sort of thing. Oh, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. In 1951, a fire swept through the male wing, causing considerable damage. Um, An article from the Herald Sun, which is a paper that's still around today. It sounds familiar. Read, that year read, 400 male patients, many named, were rescued from the Beechworth Asylum today, minutes before a fire caused the blazing top story of the mental hospital to collapse. 11 patients escaped, escaped into the surrounding mountainous country. Seven were later recaptured, but four, described as not dangerous, are still at large. What? Remember all the jars of body parts that I mentioned earlier? Yeah. Well, supposedly, between the destruction of the fire and the restoration of the facility, the jars disappeared. It is believed, and again, remember that I mentioned this, that they are stored in a sealed cavity of the original cellar in the asylum. Interesting. Mm-hmm. This sounds like it's taken, a, I mean, I'm sure it was taken inspiration from a lot of places, but the AHS uh, Asylum mm-hmm. series, mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 very, it sounds very much like that. I haven't seen that one. I've seen what? the first season. It was really good. I started to watch the Asylum season. I think this was after this tour, and I was still pretty mentally scarred from it. Oh, okay. So I, like, saw the first episode and was like, mm, too real, <laughs> and stopped. Go back and watch it, I uh, promise you. No, 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 no. Maybe, maybe. It's really good, I promise you. Okay. It is, it is a delicious season. Mm. It is my favorite season. Is that the one, I don't know if this is spoilers, but there's, like, a guy who's abducted by aliens. 
and he was like married to a black woman. Yeah, okay. it's in it's in that. Yeah, I think Evan it was. Peters. I think it was like the first. Yes, first or second yeah. episode that I was like, yeah, I don't think I can handle. It's this. really no. good because Sarah Paulson, we love her. Oh yes. Um, is she there's there's a lot of things that happen into it in it, but or whatever. But it has one of my favorite scenes of all time, which if anyone has seen it, like <laughs> where <laughs> she she's forced to eat a sandwich. And she just kind of sits there, all, like, sweaty, and, like, she's not slept, and she's just, like, looking, like, <laughs> and she's eating it. She's like, it's good. And me and Alex reference that all the time, and it is the funniest thing ever. But you have to watch it, seriously. It's, no, because then the next season is at a circus or something, right? I don't know why I said circus like that, but circus, right? <laughs> Very American. Circus. Circus. <laughs> I don't know why I get all guttural when I do it. Anyway. <laughs> Your American accent, oh my god! Today was hard, guys. <laughs> but yeah, no, I don't do clowns. So even if I watched for season two, True. I would not be doing anything further if there were clowns involved. The, yeah, the circus season was really good. But yeah. watch the asylum one, that's mm, all I care about. We'll see. Anyway, <laughs> the fire destroyed buildings and caused consider- considerable damage, as I said. Okay. Um, new buildings were built, but the site never returned to its fast size. In 1962, the mental retardation and mental hospital sections were officially separated. Oh, okay. Um, in 1967, Robert Coates, Robert a professional landscape gardener, <laughs> I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but that's what it looks like, so that's what we're going to say, um, was admitted to the asylum as a patient. Um, during his five-year stay, Coates was instrumental in the early planning of the gardens at Mayday Hills. Um, the Melbourne Royal Botanic Gardens... Uh, supplied many of the exotic trees, which can still be found around the grounds today. I will say that the grounds were stunning. Really? Yeah. Um, In uh, 1976, the Creffold Clinic, which is now the George Creffold Hotel, was built on the original site of the medical superintendent's quarters, which were originally built in 1907. It's a hotel? Yes. You can stay on the grounds. The grounds, which will also, you know, spoiler alert, the grounds have been divided up for multiple different things. Okay. Um, The clinic functioned as an early psychiatric treatment center. In 77, the psychiatric hospital was proclaimed and renamed as such under the Mental Health Act of 1959. In 1992, all intellectual disability clients had been removed from the hospital and placed in other forms of accommodation. In In 1993, the psychiatric hospital... Um, only had a capacity of 130 beds. Okay. 20 of those were available for acute adult pa- patients, uh, and more than 70 of those were for geriatric pa- patients. Mm. Um, acute care is a branch of secondary health care where a person receives active but short-term treatment. So it could be for like a severe injury, um, after surgery, an urgent condition that's like treatable, um, a short illness, that sort of thing. Okay. Um, it's basically used as an opposite for, like, chronic or long-term care. Okay. Um, so this was for, like, patients who had had a mental breakdown, but, you know, it was just, like, a short thing, they just needed a little bit of treatment, and then could be Mm. on their way. Um, following the Royal Commission into Psychiatric Care, the hospital was shut down in 1995 after running for 128 years. Wow. The site was purchased by La Trobe University, which I went to for... 
about a year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in 1996 for $750,000. Good God. That little... Which isn't a whole lot for 260 acres of yeah, land. Like, of 128 years. This was in 1996, which, again, probably would be worth a lot more today because inflation. Right. But still, um, yeah. Um, the venture... Oh, it was, it was redeveloped as a hotel school. How much did you say it was? 750000 Australian, though. AUD in, in 2022. 1995, you said? 96. 96. Converted to today. Yeah, I didn't do that. I did it for other things. How much? Good God! $1,418,776. I believe that, actually. I've seen houses in Box Hill. I believe that. It has increased 89%. Yeah. Inflation. Yay. I'm never going to own a house. (laughs) (laughs) You just might as well laugh about it, really. I just, I'm going to tell myself. It's fine. Otherwise, I'm going to cry. The Venture was abandoned in 2011. The what was? The Venture. So they used it as a hotel school for like, so like hospitality school. Okay. Um, Mayday Hills remained empty until 2013. When Latrobe sold the facility to local company to a local company composed of two Beechworth businessmen, George Fendike and Jeff Lucas, um, the site has been subdivided and either leased or sold to tourism and arts-based businesses. On the grounds are a hotel, which was the George Kerford Hotel, as we just uh, mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. uh, and a conference center, which is still run by Latrobe University. The gardens are open to the public from dawn until dusk. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the Chapel of the Resurrection, um, which used to be the Asylum's Morgue, is rented out for weddings. Apparently it's beautiful. Um, go for it. I don't think it's, like, used as a church church. It's just more of, like, a pretty chapel where you can get married and then take pictures on the stunning grounds. Are no Australians, like, scared of ghosts? Because this, this place... Australian is. <laughs> Maybe well, it's my half-Americanism, oh, American probably. side, that, like, has me, like, so... They're just, like, slicing this place up like pizza and then just, like, serving pieces out. What? But wait, there's more. No! Um, Some of the grounds has even been sold to private owners and is used as private residences. And for why? And for why? And for why? We need that on a shirt. And for why? (laughs) Um, While much of the building and grounds has been repurposed, you can, of course, still visit the asylum for historical and paranormal tours. Now, let's get into the ghostly and paranormal surrounding the Beechworth Asylum. From bone-chilling sightings to horrid smells of rotting flesh, and ghostly writing to being pinned against a wall, Beechworth Asylum has more than earned its reputation as one of the most haunted sites in Australia. So the way that I've done this, I don't know if you've ever seen like those top 10 videos. Like yeah. There's this guy, I believe he's Welsh, and I love him because his voice is so soothing. But he'll be like, um, the slasher of Bristol and like, be like, blah, 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 blah. And then be like, the, I saw a ghost in my house. Like he'll read like the titles and then tell the story, which is what I've done to break things up. So starting with a lovely ghost, we have Matron Sharp, S-H-A-R-P-E. I hate her. No, 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 no. We love her. Oh, we, I, I love her. She sounds horrific. <laughs> she does. Sharp is a very unfortunate yeah. name. 
However, she was a kindly matron who was said to have left her own children in care to work at Mayday Hills so she could afford a better life for them. Oh, wow. She was known for her kindness to, pa- kindness to patients and her attempts to improve their conditions. She introduced lace curtains, doilies, and fresh flowers to the hospital. That's cute. It was also said that she introduced music and pet therapy to this asylum. Pet therapy works. It works. Mm-hmm. Um, it's said that she still walks the woman's ward um, to comfort the patients and was often seen by other nurses after her death to be holding the hands of patients who were having electroshock therapy. Those who say they've witnessed this say the room was icy cold, but her presence was comforting and seemed to bring a sense of res- reassurance to the patients. Witnesses have also seen her walking down the granite staircase in the dormitory area and into one of the classrooms. So we love her. Mm. Um, we have Arthur and the green woolen jacket. Those who live nearby have also supposedly seen the ghost of a man wearing a green woolen jacket wandering around the gardens. It is understood to be Arthur, Beechworth's dutiful gardener, who worked the gardens for many years and earned 10 shillings a week. I couldn't find the exact today money for that. Um, however, um, he was never seen without his green jacket. All year round, Arthur would wear his green woolen jacket. No one could get it off him. Hmm. After he died, the nurses found 140 pounds over four years' worth of his wages secretly hidden in the seams of his jacket, though the reason of this is unknown. So 140 pounds today in British pounds would be $17,955.07. Or... $20,172.50 $20,172.50 US uh, or $32,481.46 Australian. Oh God. So sewn in his jacket. It's any wonder really that he didn't want to take his jacket off. <laughs> Did he like jingle all the time? <laughs> no idea. It was like sewn into the seams so I would imagine that no. <laughs> I'm so confused. Why would he do that? I don't know. How did they find it? You know how people would, like, store things under their mattress or, like, in their mattress? Maybe it was just that. How did they find it? Like, what, did they rip open his jacket? I think maybe he died on site. Okay. And so they'd, like, gone to move the body and be like, oh, goodness, why is your jacket so heavy? Or why are you so heavy? Or whatever. Right. Um, Jim Kelly. So James Kelly was the uncle of infamous, infamous bushranger Ned Kelly, who I will do an episode of because okay. it is like, he is like the Robin Hood of Australia. Oh, like really? he, he's like an infamous, like folklore at this point, but he's real. Is this like wild west, but for Australia? Kind of. We call them bushrangers. Okay. But essentially like an outlaw. Okay. Um, after burning down his sister-in-law's house, this is James, not Ned. <laughs> Um, (laughs) while a young Ned was still inside, don't worry, spoiler alert, no one was killed. Um, Jim was sentenced to 15 years hard labor by Sir Redmond Barry, who years later sentenced his nephew Ned to death. Spoiler alert, Ned Kelly dies. (laughs) Um, as part of his sentence, Jim was sent to the institution to help build the hospital. After serving his time, it is said his mind was broken quote-unquote. Um, so he spent the rest of his days as a patient at the hospital until his death in 1903. I wonder why his mind was broken. Do you think know. it could be all of the electric Well, I mean, therapy? if he was locked in that 
cell down in the bloody cellar yeah. with the bodies than oh, <laughs> any God. wonder that would mess me up too. Um, in one of the day rooms, there is a signature of J. Kelly scratched into the glass, but it only appeared after his death. What? I have a picture too, which I'll show you in a minute. Wait, how could it appear? How, did they just not notice it? Until his after? ghost scratched it into the window. That is the legend. Oh. I I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> I don't know if I believe that. Um, Jim's body was laid to rest, like the rest of his fellow patients, in an unmarked grave in the Beechworth Cemetery. In fact, it was not until the 1980s that patients actually received their own grave and headstone. Prior to this, they were also buried in the opposite direction to everyone else, setting them apart from the rest of society as the asylum had done while they were still living. So there's just bodies? No one knows where they are? I think that was like mass grave kind of situation. There's mm-hmm. just no... It's like, these are all the people that died on this day or in these couple of days. Do we not the pe- know where they are? They're unmarked graves. I think there's just sections of the cemetery that don't have markings. That's sad. Were you um, able to see the graveyard mm-hmm. when you were there? Oh. There's a different location. Oh, okay. Um, as to why they suffered this indignity and death, no one knows. James Kelly has also been seen in his old room. Banging on the walls, pacing up and down, throwing objects, and sometimes you'll hear deep, eerie laughter. Mm-mm. I do not think so. No, ma'am. Nope. Throw that whole ghost away. I think if I had heard that, like, I didn't. Spoiler alert. I probably... Sorry, I'm saying spoiler alert a lot, but it's just my, uh, tick at the moment, my fixation. <laughs> it's just that and not sponsored. <laughs> Which I cut out of here on purpose. I've been saying, <laughs> I've been saying for why, I love and that. again for years I have been saying. I mean, I guess we I've been saying shirt. that a lot. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> we need to talk to Corey and be like, "Hey, can you make us a shirt that, yes. or a, a thing that says for why?" For why? <laughs> um, so Max and the leg. Another story from the haunted grounds involves a man who disappeared. Despite desperate efforts to find him, staff were unsuccessful. Several weeks after he disappeared, a resident dog named Max was found chewing a leg near the ground's entry. A stench had begun to linger around the hospital grounds uh-huh. by this point. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they were sent out on a second search, and a body was found the body of the man was found up a tree. Wow. The body had decomposed so badly that his leg had fallen off and Fallen right into Max's possession. Oh boy, do I hate that. <laughs> the spirit of the, oh, Max was just like, ooh, treat. Perfect. Um, <laughs> Dogs will chew on anything, though. Yeah. The spirit of the patient has been seen in the early hours of the morning near the entrance to the asylum. The hall. Um, there are two spirits that are seen in the recreation hall. The first is the ghost of a young girl who is seen scratching with her short nails on the concrete walls and wailing in distress. Ugh. Uh, she's also seen approaching women and desperately trying to communicate with them. Wow. The other ghost is an elderly man who doesn't seem to be having a lot of fun either. He's seen simply staring enviously at the window, out the window, at the people roaming free below him. Um, the tall gentleman, Jeff, <gasps> hate that. one of the tour guides, saw a tall gentleman around the toy shop wearing a full black suit, a waist coat and top hat. Stop, so cute. Dapper AF. Yeah. Um, he saw the person underneath the tree. Okay. And then they vanished a few seconds later. 
He then saw them. Yes. He then saw the figure again when he'd gone back to check and lock up the women's ward. He appeared to give Jeff a short little nod. Um, so, I mean, I guess he approved of ah, Jeff cool. taking care of it. Sure. Um, another guy had saw the same gentleman on the same night. Um, he had gone out for a smoke before Jeff had heard him screaming. Jeff went to the man and they had both seen the same thing. So, another rant. Um, in Haunting of Hill House, everyone was scared of the guy with the top hat. I thought he was so cute. I thought he was adorable. <laughs> that whole thing. His hat. Yeah. Alex was, uh, so Alex doesn't like anything scary. What? <laughs> I was sitting in my car and I was reading, waiting for you to get home. Yeah. I look up and there's this fluorescent hoodie <laughs> sitting on the front steps. I'm like, oh, she didn't send Alex out because I was oh, too no, afraid no, no, to no, like no. come in, right? No. So I was like, well, damn, now I'm going to have to like get out of the car yeah. and go, you know, on my people face. I guess you know? I have to say hi <laughs> to Alex. So I was like, what are you doing out here? It's freezing. Get inside. And he's like, I'm waiting for Kayla. I'm like, okay. And he's like, you can go in and wait if you want. I'm like, I'm not coming in there alone. <laughs> and he goes, oh, it's not that bad, despite what you say on your podcast. And I'm like, listen. And he goes, it's not that bad, Kaylin. <laughs> like, keep telling he yourself wants, that. He wants you to tell like, him it's not bad. <laughs> so, yeah, it was like. No, he was watching. But I'm very proud of you for listening in and supporting yes. Kayla, even if you're yes. scared out of your mind. Yeah, but he was watching that scene with me when it was happening, and I would I just kept going, "Aw, he's just looking for his hat," and Alex was like, "No, no, no," and I was like, "But he's just looking for his no, hat." I... When he found it, he was like, "We're good," and he walked away like yeah. a good little guy. I like his little cane. He'll, yeah. That's what I'm imagining when you're when you're telling this. Sure, but less terrifying, but sure. The lady on the lawn. One woman was pushed out the window because another patient wanted her cigarettes. The woman was Jewish, so the staff at the hospital could not move her until the body was seen by a rabbi. Interesting. She was left lying at the front of the hospital for two days whilst the oh. rabbi traveled from Melbourne. What? Because it was in the days, I guess, where you have to travel by carriage. So by car, it took me about three, four hours. By carriage, it took two days. They couldn't move her, I guess, for religious reasons. I didn't look into them. Did they cover her body? Like I have no idea. Oh my good god. Um, her ghost has been seen by several people on the spot where she fell. Oh, uh, yeah. James. Visitors have claimed to hear the sounds of children laughing and playing even when the grounds were deserted. The sound has also been heard by workmen, but when they went to investigate the noises, they could not find the source. Mm. One visitor on TripAdvisor... Claimed to hear the sounds and noticed her 10-year-old son, who had come along for the adventure, talking to himself. When she asked him about it, he replied that he was talking to a little boy he'd met named James. Hiccup. Who said he lived at the asylum. Tommy Kennedy. Tommy was well-liked by all who knew him and died in the kitchen where he worked as a kitchen hand. He was apparently stabbed to death by another inmate. It's here where people have reported feeling a sensation of someone tugging at their clothing or poking them in the ribs. Timmy also used to transport deceased patients out of the hospital. The kitchen area also has two well-known entities named Carlisle and Benjamin. Not much is known about Carlisle, but Benjamin is only supposed to be eight years old. I call BS on this because he's mostly known to scratch people and tap. Most scarily, he's been seen doing the backward arched over run. I don't think that's an eight-year-old. Uh, I hate that. 
first off. <laughs> um, that is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, second off, Carlisle. Mm-hmm. Twilight. Oh, yes, it's vampire that's, that's in there. That's probably where he started from. That's probably, that's probably where he came from. He probably became a vampire. Yes, Stephanie Myers just went to the Beach Whip Asylum, met Carlisle the vampire, was like, I'm going to write a book about you and your yeah. family. <laughs> um, this area is known to have a lot of banging of pots and pans, screaming, shouting, and the sounds of someone crying, clearly in pain. Mm. Possibly Tommy while he was stabbed. Okay. The Women's Maniacal Ward. Jeff talks about an experience he had in the women's maniacal ward. He was there to lock up. In order to lock the door, he had to open it a bit and then pull it shut. So I'm guessing kind of like a jiggly kind of like... Um, But as he went to do that movement, he saw a hand beckoning with a single finger through the door. Mm -mm. My friend Harriet mentioned uh, that it was a while ago and she didn't remember a whole lot of things. However, she felt like when we were uh, when we were in that section, she felt like we were in the way. It felt like there was a hustle and bustle, and our group was in the way. Mm-hmm. Like there was just so much going on, and that us being there was like in someone's way. It's like they were like, as a bunch of people were like just going about their daily life. Um, my own experience with the asylum started in the women's maniacal ward. As I said earlier. Uh, Harriet and I had driven to Beechworth for the tour in August 2017. After meeting outside the theatre, we made our way to the Women's Maniacal Ward. I remember seeing a red triangle type, like, shapes on the wall, like, sticking out of the wall every now and then as we walked through the building. They looked like something you'd hang, like, an axe on. So it was kind of like, not like a closed triangle, but slightly an open bit. Okay. You know how they would use, like, axes to break down doors in a fire? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, okay. So it, it kind of looked like something you'd hang an axe on for some sort of, like, oh, yeah. fire safety type I know thing. I, I can't see it. Um, I have terrible eyesight when it's dark. I have no depth perception. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Mum. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I remember making a mental note to be careful not to walk into one. Because it looked like it would hurt. It was, like, kind of at hip height. Oh, okay. Um, hip height to you. <laughs> Shoulder height to me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. music keeps slapping. Um... We were led into a large open room where Harriet said she felt like we were in the hustle and bustle mm-hmm. um, and asked to spread out in a circle so that the guide could stand in the middle and talk to us all like in a single file circle around the room. Um, it would, it was about pretty safe to assume that there were about at least 20 to 30 people in our tour. Oh, okay. Um, so our circle spread out almost all the way to the walls. As I was backing up, something poked me quite sharply on the left side of my back, just above my butt, sort of about really? hip height. Oh, okay. My mind immediately went to those triangle thingies yeah. that I saw sticking out of the wall, and I spun around expecting to see one there, only to find nothing. And I wasn't even that close to the wall. Really? Hmm. So overall, the feeling in the women's section was quite calm. Um, I didn't sense anything bad or uncomfortable. However, as we were ushered into one of the cells, a feeling of raw panic and blind despair overcame me. I felt so on edge and unsettled, I barely registered anything the tour guide was saying. I uh, later found out that he was reading that list. Oh, yeah. And he was like, put your hand up if you do this. Put your hand up if you do this. And, like, read and novel reading. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this... Uh, I haven't shared this before like, to anyone. I, you read a little bit, or you Not said this. a little bit of it, like, in the I told the you about the, the poking. Yeah, I've never... I haven't told... I've told people about the poking. Yeah. Um... Panic bubbled up and up and up and up. I needed to get out. 
I've never been super claustrophobic, but oh my gosh, I thought I would, excuse the pun, go insane stuck in that cell. Oh my gosh. You could see scratches and teeth marks in the wood. I, I tried to keep cool and waiting for my turn to exit because I'm not one to like make a big scene, yeah. scene about things. And it was literally like the second part of the tour. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I tried to keep cool waiting for my turn to exit. And as soon as we were out, I was calm again. It was as if those feelings previously had not happened. The bull pit. Uh, in the bull pit, people hear disembodied voices, taps, and footsteps. Adelaide ghost hunter Alan Tiller told Nova 100, which is a radio station, in 2015 that he heard a door slamming and footsteps up the hallway. Wow. So this area is basically like an outdoor courtyard with cells, like cell doors all around it. That's what I was picturing. Yeah. Like, that's so sad. So from the maniacal, woman's maniacal ward, we made our way towards the bull pit. I was still a little wigged out, but the fresh night air was helping soothe the frayed edges of my nerves. <laughs> oh, sweet summer child. The night was going to get so much worse. We were standing in the courtyard surrounded by doors when I started to feel something or someone playing with my hair. Now, I tried to brush it off as the wind because we were standing in an open air courtyard. Yeah. However, it felt like there was someone standing directly behind me, lifting up individual sections of my hair like straight up into the air and then dropping them and letting them drop back down. So my hair wasn't like swishing from side to side. It was like up, down, up. And it was just like, like this. The rest of my hair was not moving. Um, I stood stock still struggling to listen to the guide. It definitely felt like an angry place, but I more so just felt confusion. I kept hearing, why am I here? Why am I here? Why am I here? Um, this next section of the tour, I'm a little fuzzy. Um, I remember the group being moved into a room that I remember being just off the bull pit, but I, I, it, I can't remember. That was, <laughs> um, we were told by some guy about some guy who was pushed into the fireplace there. Um, however, I couldn't focus on the tour. Whatever was playing with my hair outside had followed me in, like, directly behind me and was playing with my hair so much more aggressively, like, just up, down, up, down. Wasn't quite pulling it, but it was rather aggressively trying to get my attention. Calmly, I asked Harriet if she had a hair tie so that I could tie my hair up with because I didn't want to acknowledge it. She did, so I did. I tied my hair up. Um, I later told her, I was like, it felt like something was playing with my hair just now. Yeah. Uh, Grevillea. Um, a male doctor is seen in Grevillea, who was also used to be seen in Bristol, which was another medical ward in Mayday Hills. Um, but it's now long gone. Okay. I think it was destroyed in the fire. The doctor was said to wander around Grevillea also, uh, but hasn't been seen since Bristol was demolished. Mm. Visitors to Grevillea get a lot of emotional feelings. Uh, people pick up on a lot of anger. So Grevillea was the room where uh, electroshock therapy and lobotomies happened. Oh, right. Okay. Um, we were led from the bull pit to Grevillea. I no longer felt my hair being played with, but the whole walk through the build- toward and through the building, I felt as if something was looming over me following close behind. I felt like a caged animal being led to the slaughter. We stepped into a room where a metal table lay in the center. The guide asked if any of us were brave enough to lie down on it. I would have. For sure. <laughs> my heart pounded. Like, I felt like I was going to be, like, pushed forward. Like, I wow. just was, like, like so anxious. Um, one of the men on the tour on the tour stepped forward. 
As he settled onto the table, I became angry. This guy and his friend had been making a joke out of the whole thing all night. He had what? no right to do so. Lots of like, ooh, like just, he, they were there on a double date. I think they'd been like at the pub and were a little oh, bit tipsy. And not cool. And were just like being jerks. Like yeah. complete jerks. So he'd been making a joke all night of this whole thing. So he had no right to then go and lie on this slab. No. Like how dare he bring that energy here to a place where so many people were hurt and killed. Right. Once he was off, the feeling eased up, but I continued to feel unsettled until we left the building. The cellar. The cellar was possibly the most terrifying part of the tour. We were brought into the building and stopped just at the top of the stairs. We were told to be careful as the stairs were steep and sometimes people were pushed down or up them. The group slowly descended the stairs single file and things felt instantly cooler, which of course makes sense. It's a cellar. Right. You know, it's underground. And it was winter. Um, or going into spring, but, Mm. um, we were ushered into one of the, so we stood in the cell bit, like the cellar bit and, you know, this used to be a morgue. It was also food storage, blah, blah, blah. And there's, like, this archway leading to one cell here, one cell here. Metal bars, Mm. door, all of it. Um, We were then ushered into one of the cells. The door was shut, and we were asked to turn off our lanterns, plunging us into darkness. It was the kind of darkness that your eyes couldn't even adjust to. As we stood and listened to the tour guide speak, I felt something on my ankle. A hand. I knew without a shadow of a doubt that it was a hand. Slowly, the hand began to climb up the inside of my leg, up over my calf, past my knee. That panic was back. I didn't know if it belonged to a living person or a dead person, but oh my gosh, something was climbing up my leg. As it began to climb along the inside of my thigh, a scream from the cell had our guide turning on his lantern and the hand left my leg. Another girl on the other side of the cell screamed, don't do that, you can't do that, you can't touch people. It took me a moment to realize that she was accusing our guide of touching her in the dark. However, the guide was standing in the middle of the back wall. His voice in the dark made me know that he hadn't moved. Right. There are at least five people between me and the guide, and even more between her and the guide. Was there anyone, like, close to you that could have At Harriet. It was a small cell. We were pretty closely in there. But there's no way that someone could have gone from here to, like, back where they were. You would have seen them pull away. Like, really? the lights, like, the, the guide's lantern, as soon as she started screaming, was on. Oh, really? Like, it was just instantaneous. Um, he assured her that he hadn't moved from the spot. He's like, I don't, I like to scare you guys with stories, but I would never disrespect anyone like that. Like, that's just, that's not fun. Right. Um... As this was going on, I looked wide-eyed over at Harriet, who looked wide-eyed back at me and was like, are you okay? You, you're crying. I looked confused for a moment before raising my hand up to my cheek. Tears were streaming out of my eyes, but I had no idea. Mm. Like, it wasn't like a, like, like, you know when you cry, like you at least yeah. make noises? It was just silent tears just streaming down my mm. face. Um, I kind of brushed her off and was like, you know, I'll tell you later. Um, needless to say, the tour was finished off with the lanterns on. And that was, like, the second to last part. We were then taken outside, just outside the theatre where we'd met up. And he told about the lady who was pushed out of the window. Oh, okay. Um, as a side note, one of the guides, other guides, uh, did a grounding and cleansing on both me and the other girl before we drove home. Mm. Um, we finished off, like, we were brought inside to the, the theatre to take a group picture. 
Um, and I, he went up to this girl and her, I think it was like her mother afterwards and was like, Hey, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Like, again, I swear it wasn't me. Um, you know, if you would like, um, one of my coworkers is like a, a Wiccan, um, and she'll, she can do a cleansing for you if you'd like. And I heard that and kind of went up and was like, Hey, I'm really sorry. I overheard this. I too have had these experiences. I don't feel safe to drive home. I don't want to bring something home with me. Um, could I please also join in? And they were really good about it. Um, oh, wait, no, the seller. I could tell you about one more thing about the seller. So there was a guy, I couldn't find the YouTube video, who was aggressively by the neck, held up against the wall. He was hit. He was scratched. He was kicked. The tour guide was like, we got to get you out of here. And as they were leading him out, he was pushed up the stairs. So, like, I, I couldn't find the video. I heard, I read a couple of articles where it was mentioned and listened to another podcast where it was also mentioned. But I couldn't, I tried to Google, like, so many things, couldn't find the YouTube video. Oh, that's sad. I know. I, like, I wanted to listen to it. But right. Anyway. So, the final story that I have to share is called The Devil. Uh, there are reports and claims that the devil has been seen in Beechworth. They say that from the shadows of the dark corners, glowing red eyes seem to be looking back at them. Creepier still... They claim that they feel as if something dark and heavy is following them around and didn't leave them until they'd left the building. Some say they actually feel as if the dark energy is trying to take over their body and make them physically sick with stomach pains, major stomach cramps, dizziness, and a sudden shooting pain through the head. Mm. The stench of rotten flesh follows. A smell that is not, a smell that not everybody smells. Down in the basement of the hospital is where the doctors and their unknown voluntary assistants would store bodies in body bags, ready for them to experiment on. It's believed that some of these bodies were down there for months before being laid to rest, and others were offered for demonic rituals and black magic in a way to say thank you for their assistance. Now, I tried to find any proof of this, (laughs) Uh, but I think it's just a really good story. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that there were patients being experimented on. Yeah. Um, and if no one were claiming the bodies of the dead, then, you know, who was to give any permission to? Um, definitely not ethical. No. <laughs> at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so who knows what the doctors were doing to right. study and learn more about these patients. Right. Um, I wanted to open it up to you and to our listeners who are welcome to send us an email or comment on our Facebook or any of those other things. Um... What are your thoughts on ghost tours in places like old asylums? Um, these were places of such mental and physical anguish, uh, especially when people were locked away, not of their own accord, and sometimes for trivial things. Um, should there be allowed to be tours on these locations? Not even like ghost tours, historical tours. What are your thoughts? I personally think that it's important that there are historical tours. Mm-hmm. I think that it is very important that we learn from our history. Um, I think that medical, like, uh, like just medical stuff Mm. period has come a really long way, Mm. um, from where it once was. And I really think that, um, if it's done right and respectful, I think that it's absolutely okay to Mm. do some tours. Um, but like that guy that you were mentioning that was just going in there and just making jokes and stuff, I think people like that should be escorted off the premises until they can gather their stuff. And I will say, and I do mention, I wrote down some of my own thoughts, but I will say that the tour guide handled it really well. Oh, good. Um, you know, really professionally. Yeah. They were allowed to remain on the tour, mm-hmm. 
But but even like places like old like battlegrounds or like places where like such emotional and physical mm-hmm. pain that are obviously like the places that are generally haunted because it I believe that it can take for something that dramatic to happen, mm. it has to be a place of like such emotional and physical like turmoil and, you know, stress. So my thoughts were, um, I think it's incredibly important to be respectful of the location. Um, however, oftentimes these places have such a great historical and architectural significance. Um, if doing a historical and paranormal tour brings in a little bit of money to help preserve the location, then I think it's the lesser of two evils. Um, people are always looking to, uh, people are always going to do what they want, regardless of legality. So if the choices are between a tour led by someone safely and respectfully and someone breaking into a potentially structurally unsound location where they could not only hurt themselves, but destroy history by treading without care and taking what they can, I think I'd rather have people running the tours. Right. Um, those two men on the tour that I mentioned as being super disrespectful and ridiculous, they were making like, ooh, like ghost sounds, uh, laughing and yucking it up. The tour guide handled it really well, and after the Gravilia room, they actually settled down. So I personally like to think that something or someone in there put them in their place. Good. Um, it, like, the guy got off the... The, the guy... Do- the guy... <laughs> the guy got off the metal table, mm-hmm. and it was instantly like something had kind of changed. Mm-hmm. Like, not in a negative way, just he was kind of a little bit more respectful. and Yeah from then on and I guess that kind of because he wasn't doing it his buddy wasn't like acting off of that energy um hmm. I also think that we can try and over sanitize history to get rid of the yucky and uncomfortable bits um but in the end who does that help yeah Uh, we can lock things away out of sight and out of mind because we've come so far nowadays like we're so much better than how they were back then they were so primitive yeah um but you know, we would never repeat those mistakes. Right. But if we don't keep reminding people of how things were, racism, sexism, you know, female rights, yeah. uh, mental patients, like health rights, all of those sort of things, we're not learning from those mistakes right, in the exactly. past. We're just covering them up and going, well, don't look small children. It's right. uncomfortable. Right. Um, sometimes we need to be confronted with these horrors to mm-hmm. remember how depraved people were so that we don't repeat those patterns. Exactly. And next week's, or not next week's, well, yeah, yeah next week's, yeah. I guess, yeah. Next week's episode for The Farm is is going to be insane. It might be a little longer. We're going to do it, yeah. probably, it'll probably be longer. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to sleep over at The Farm. Yeah. I have never been there past, like, 9 p.m. <laughs> yeah. And I grew up at The Farm, I lived there, and I'm, I'm very, like... What's that called? I'm very desensitized. Yeah. Kaylin's terrified. (laughs) Well, okay. Hang on a minute. So, obviously, my husband has spent a lot of time and overnight time at the farm. Yeah, he lived there too. Yeah. Um, I told him last week, or this week, like Friday night, that I would be next week, next Saturday, you and I would be sleeping over at the farm. Mm -hmm. Like, when I got home from school, like not even from work, not even like, you know, right before bed. Hours later, as we're getting in bed, he, like, we, like, turn off the lights, we're settling down to sleep. Like, it's not like we're lying in bed reading. Like, we're, we're done for the night. Yeah. Lights are turned off. He rolls over, and he's quiet for a bit. Jay is, like, so obnoxious. Yeah. He will just close his eyes and go, I'm tired, and fall asleep and start snoring. <laughs> so is Alex. So he, he rolls over, he's quiet for a bit. 
for a bit. And I'm like, okay, he's going to sleep. I'm on TikTok, you know, scrolling through videos. He goes, hey, baby. I'm like, oh, yeah. Pause the video, turn around. Um, when you and Kayla sleep over at the farm next week, just, just be safe, okay? And I was like, you jerk. How dare you? Because <laughs> as we will discuss... Pretty much everyone in this family, yeah. regardless of their, like, skepticism mm-hmm. or, like, spiritual, like, sensitivities or any of that sort of stuff, has a story from the farm. This family is not a small family. There are four children. They each have, like, 20,000 kids. Like, <laughs> there are, like... <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. That's how I feel. We're gathering stories from everyone, too. Yep. Um, I have had so many experiences at the farm. Mm-hmm. I've heard, like, some of them. <laughs> yeah. And fun fact, um, I have horrific nightmares every single night. It's actually, it's very traumatizing. But I, I have, I mean, like, chronic nightmares. Mm-hmm. Like, very vivid and a lot of the times, I cannot tell what is real and what is fake. Um, and a lot of the times, I'll look at Alex and I'm like, is this, this, is this real? Like, I can't tell no. most of the time. Yeah, so almost about 99% of my nightmares take place on the farm. And they always have. And I don't know why, because the farm is such a safe space for me. It's a safe space for our whole family. I have um, some things to tell you about nightmares of the farm. Yeah, there, there's no... There's never anything bad ever happening at the farm. My mm. grandparents are very caring, kind, mm-hmm. amazing people. Um, and anyone will tell you that. I don't know anyone who has ever met them, them so much. Who hate them. Yeah, they are just great people. And so it's not a it's not a bad negative space. And it never has been. So mm-hmm. I don't understand why most of my nightmares are taking place on the farm. Um, mm-hmm. But they just are. And it's yeah. it's just fun fact about me, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Fun fact. So, I'm traumatized every night when I sleep. Yeah. So we'll be talking about the history of the farm, mm-hmm. how it started. We did a bunch of research on it. Um, we went to our city records and found mm-hmm. a bunch of stuff. So we will be talking about that. And we'll, then we'll be sharing a bunch of the stories. family ghost stories and yeah. stuff, too. Yeah. That'll be awesome. Yeah. So on a less serious note... I wanted to take a minute to share some of our analytics that have absolutely blown my mind. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. So our top downloads are from the following locations. And some of these are not very surprising. Yeah. So our top number one was Springfield, Ohio. Okay. Followed by (laughs) Dayton, Ohio. Okay. Cincinnati, Ohio. Megan. Melbourne, Australia. Your family. And that is where, like... The, People that we they know stopped. End, yeah. Well, there's Columbus as well later down, but, you know. Uh, anyway. Ryan. <laughs> um, Brexville, Ohio? Do we know anyone there? I don't. I don't. Okay. No. Chicago, Illinois. Cool. Brussels, Belgium. What? Yeah. That's, like, middle of the list. Boardman, Ohio? Um, I don't know. I don't even know where that is, yeah. actually. <laughs> Columbus, Ohio. Ashburn, Virginia. Okay. Grand Rapids, Michigan. Interesting. And Bartlett, Illinois. What? Yeah. Um, I also wanted to give a shout out to our newest listeners. Like, as in, like, I checked these last night when I was writing, like, finishing this up. Yeah. So these are new as of the episode that went live today. Yeah. I'm sorry if I butcher these names. I looked them up and listened to multiple sources on how to, like, pronounce them. (laughs) (laughs) So our newest listeners are in Dublin and... 
Drehenua in what? Ireland. <gasps> so cool. Uh, Frankfurt and Hearn, Germany. H-E-R-N-E. Oh, that might be Alex's family. Maybe, okay. He has family in Germany. Um, Vandalia, Ohio. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> Vandalia? Isn't it Vandalia? Vandalia, yeah. Oh. <laughs> it was Vandalia. <laughs> I'm Australian. True. Austin, Texas. Uh, London, England. Cool. Well, it just said UK, but then when you can scroll down and there's like a map which shows dots and it was in li- London. Okay. It just said United Kingdom, not applicable for like the location. Okay. So I'm going to say London. If not, I'm sorry for offending you. That's <laughs> offensive. Uh, Virginia Beach, Virginia. Cool. Denver, Colorado. Saxiva, Romania. <gasps> that one is so cool. Though, okay. You know how people have their accents that they're attracted mm. to most of them say british or australian mm. mine is romanian accents. oh i love irish and scottish accents anything okay irish and but scottish that's in my blood is either. a given <laughs> that's a given it's hot but romanian accents oh yeah talk to me like dracula please talk to me my clothes in the in the other side of the world it's i'm they've thrown away i don't I'm, i don't exist anymore <laughs> um san juan malta um, an unknown Australian city. It just said Australia and NA. Mm. Um, and we have a lot of listeners in Australia, so I couldn't pinpoint it like mm. I did the UK one. Um, Campulong Muscle. Oh, Muscles, yeah. Uh, and some other place in Romania. So cool. Uh, and Farmington, New Mexico. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, in the last 30 days, we've had 124 downloads. Really? And most of our listeners are tuning in on Spotify and Google Chrome. Really? Yes. Cool. So thank you so much, guys. Yes, You're awesome. thank you. But yeah, so <laughs> thank you so much. Keep sharing us with thank your you. friends and family yes. or even just randos on the street. In fact, I wonder if some of you new people come from my husband's Pokemon roleplay server that he's on on Discord because he's <laughs> always being like, my wife. If that is not a J thing I've well, ever heard. See, I'm a bit <laughs> weary of wife guides now. I mean, you know, Mr. He Who Must Not Be Named. Oh, so, Jay would never. No, Jay would never. Off, absolutely Jay not. would never. Um, um, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Ghost Tea Podcast. You can find us at Facebook at facebook.com slash ghost podcast or on Instagram at ghost underscore podcast. That's G-H-O-S-T-E-A podcast. If you have any topics you'd like us to discuss or just want to say hi, you can email us at ghostteapodcast at outlook.com.